I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Today I have Joe Cho on as we talk about the first two weeks of the English Premier League season. We talk about Manchester United and that exciting win against Chelsea in game week one. We also talk about Liverpool and how they have started off this season. We've also in- talked about Manchester City and Tottenham's exciting game this um, weekend that ended in some VAR controversy. So we end up going into our thoughts about VAR. And then we also give our surprise, surprise uh, teams thus far this season. So give this podcast a listen. And if you guys haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe and like the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. So give it a listen and uh, let's give Joe a call. Kevin Wu, what is going on, dude? Joe, thanks for coming back on to the podcast. I'm doing well, but I mean, we're talking before the podcast, and soccer gives us a lot of pleasure, but it also takes away. Do you want to kind of like talk about what you're going <laughs> through in your personal life right now just a little bit? Yeah, so uh, approximately uh, six hours ago, I underwent shoulder surgery to repair a torn labrum. Um, and looks like, I mean, from as far as I know, I got the injury playing soccer about two months ago. And so uh, now it's knocking me out of commission for the next six months. So um, also, if I'm slurring any of my words, it's because of the pain pills. <laughs> yeah. So I was about to say, it was, it's probably one of the most dangerous guests I've ever had on because you're six six hours post-surgery and <laughs> you're probably all drugged up right now. So forgive Joe if he says anything crazy related to anything that has any regard to <laughs> man, you, or any of his opinions. Just give him a pass for this podcast. So, Joe, I'm giving you license to say anything you mm. want, basically. So um, <laughs> I'm getting I'm a little worried about this one. Um, but anyways, I really want to have Joe on the podcast today because we are two weeks through the Premier League season. And even though it's only two games, I think it's really great to have your reaction to, um, I guess, just like what's going on in the league right now. And obviously, I brought you on because Joe's a huge Man U fan. And just to talk about how Man U's looked. And I mean, if we had this podcast one week ago, I think your reaction would be dramatically different than um, this week. But I guess we could kind of go there right now. Joe, what were your, what, what's your general reaction over the past two games for Man U and how you see this team performing? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that I would feel like differently from last week to today this week in terms of how Manchester United performed. But to be honest, I'm still just as hopeful, um, even after this Wolves game. Um, So like, you know, in match week one, we played Chelsea and smoked them 4-0. Incredible performance by essentially everyone on the pitch. Dan James gets his debut day goal like seven minutes after coming on. And then Marcus Rashford, 
and Marcial looked like the real deal. And Pogba looks like he wanted to be there. Um, yeah, so was he like, did. Yeah, dude. So it was such an exciting um, first match, you know, and the kind of ones, you know, the kind of match that, you know, have pundits and casual fans like you and me just like riding the hype train, you know. Um, and this week we played against Wolverhampton, who we talked about last time, and like how they're a very tough opponent and a team that I had slated to be challenging for the top four. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, considering that we had lost 2-1 to them both times last year um, in Wolverhampton, you know, the fact that we came away with a 1-1 draw, honestly, is not that discouraging. Um, we probably should have won 2-1 due to uh, the Pogba missed penalty, but this is not a discouraging uh, result for me. And I, I saw a lot of good things that we can take from and keep building on, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think what I kind of think about that, and first of all, I, you know, during the last podcast that we had previewing the season, I desperately regretted my surprise Chelsea, like, (laughs) because they just looked god-awful in that first game against me. Like, they were making all these mistakes. They didn't have, like, a real great flow in terms of uh, connecting passes together. They hit the post. Uh, twice I think during that game mm-hmm. but it just didn't look like they were connected and on the same page but man you looked incredible with the way they attacked I think a lot of people were pretty surprised with the product on the field and even someone like Mason Greenwood who's a real young guy got it, got some minutes towards the end of that game yesterday and last mm-hmm. week but what I wanted to say was with Man U just, I guess, in in general, with the way they looked offensively going forward, I just thought they looked a lot more positive um, mm-hmm. so far this season in terms of one when they're pressing, they're pressing together. And when they win the ball, they, they have a very, I guess, direct mindset in terms yeah. of moving forward um, for to, to kind of score a goal instead of being content holding the ball or defending, they really want to get the ball. And it's almost reminiscent of what I would say Liverpool looked like um, when Jurgen Klopp first got there in terms Mm -hmm. of him trying to implement his system. And when I was watching, tuning into that Chelsea game, I just felt like, wow, this is a Man U team I haven't seen before. And mm-hmm. they had a lot of familiar pieces, but I just hadn't seen them used and utilized in that way before. So I was just really encouraged by the way they looked. Um, kind of sad for me as a Liverpool fan, kind of, because we're probably going to have to deal with this Man U team um, this year. But it's just, I, I was just fairly encouraged with the way they looked going forward. Right. Dude, they're like two passes away. You know, if they win back possession, they're always like two or three passes away from just cutting open an entire defense. And I find that beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, why don't we get into yesterday's game um, against Wolves? Because I thought yesterday's game, they looked a little bit more. And maybe it was because of the environment at the Molyneux at, at Wolves Stadium. But I just felt like they didn't show maybe the same incisiveness or sharpness 
as they did against Chelsea, obviously with them putting four goals against Chelsea. But even like there was a lot of controversy at the at Ote post-match when Pogba ended up missing that PK. There was a lot of, I would say, a lot of the pundits were kind of arguing about who should have taken the PK. Rashford already took one last weekend, and he was still on the pitch, and they kind of had that conversation on the pitch, what, who should take it. It looked like Pogba ended up taking that one and missed it, maybe costing them a couple points. What What's your feeling on whether or not there should be, like, a designated PK taker and all that type of stuff? Yeah, I think, you know, the way – I mean, I saw Gary Neville go on a rant about how there should never be any deliberation between anyone on the pitch and that there should just be this one designated PK taker, you know? Right. And, like, while I do think that, you know, you like, what do they say? You can't have, like, two presidents. You can't have, like, a two heads, like, two heads of a company or whatever. Um, I think I think it's fine. Like, both Pogba and Rashford are accomplished PK takers. Like, clearly, Pogba has, like, a longer history um, of taking PKs for United. And then, you know, coming with that hit, like, if you take more penalty kicks, you're going to miss more penalty kicks. Like, I don't think anyone in the world has a 100% record over, like, a five-year span, you know? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But anyways, right. um, like, and Rashford's, what, I think, taken two or three. And so, you know, I think if you if both of you are good, confident players and you're willing to take that challenge on, and, you know, Pogba earned this one. So, like, why not let him take it? Um, I think... I don't think there was any issue with the two of them fighting over the PK. Um, and I don't have any problems with it going forward either. Mm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think most teams kind of usually have one player designated to take PKs in general. And I think that was kind of the interesting thing, especially with Rashford who kind of scored that huge PK for you guys last season in the Champions right. League and him having um, like basically nerves of steel during that moment and maybe him kind of ascending to that position to be able to take those PKs and Pogba who's who's probably the most talented player on this team and you know one of the leaders on this team maybe them having this conflict of interest and I wonder if that ends up playing out um, later into the season and I'm I'm curious to see like what happens during the next um, mm-hmm. PK and who ends up taking it if they're both on the pitch. Right. I don't think I don't think Ole is the kind of coach that's just going to go up and be like, "Hey, it's just Rashford or it's just Pogba." I think he's going to let this dynamic play itself out. Um, and here's a hot take: I think Pogba's taking the next one. Mm, interesting. And I think it's yeah. Do you think it's just because for? maybe for his confidence to redeem himself in, for, from that moment. Yeah, that and like a, kind of like a fuck you to the haters kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. He's going to take it. I think he's going to smash it like top right. Um, I looked at his shot chart um, during the game, and that's the one place he hasn't hit it. So I think that's what he's going to do. Mm, I heard it yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously, let everyone know. Everyone know that Pogba is going to take the next PK. And I guess in general, like, what were your thoughts on – I mean, Daniel James ended up getting his first start yesterday. What What are your thoughts on some of the new pieces and how they look, like Harry Maguire, uh, Wan-Bissaka? Um, how, what are your thoughts on just 
the new pieces and what they look like um, in regards to this Man U team? Yeah, so I would say Harry Maguire, Aaron Wan, Zosaka picked up right where they left off last week. Um, both played very well, uh, very solid at the back. I think Juan Basaka had the most tackles out of anyone in the Premier League this week with nine. And so, like, you know, outstanding performances by both of them. Um, and I think what we knew of Juan Basaka before the season remains true in terms of great defender, um, pacey kind of guy, but his um, final final ball into the box, not that great. Um, a, lot of, a lot of work there to be done. But uh, overall, like, great performances by those two. Um, and in regards to Dan James... I saw on, like, a post-match reaction, he was given, like, a 3 out of 10, which I think is harsh, but I think it's still deserved. Um, he wasn't mm. able to, you know, the way Wolves play, there's very little room between their midfield and their back line. And so, you know, for him to be able to exploit space the way he would want to, um, I don't think that was available for him there. Uh, there were a few flashes here and there where he was able to, like, you know, turn on the burners and get by someone. But he requires a more wide-open pitch in order to succeed at the level he's at right now. Um, I still think he might be best served as a spark plug off the bench. You know, defenses are getting tired and they just throw him in there um, and like say the other team needs to grab a point. But uh, I think I think right now he's not going to be penciled in as a day-to-day starter. Yeah. And I think like someone like Daniel James, he's a fairly young guy and maybe bringing him off the bench when there's tired legs on the pitch and him being able to utilize his speed might be a better better role for him at this point in his United career before he can kind of maybe consistently build up um, build up minutes and be able to build up performances. And maybe it was more of a reward from Solskjaer um, that from – his goal that he scored last week to give him the start and him being able to produce in that short amount of time against Chelsea um, maybe kind of was a reward for him to start this week. Yeah, I think so too. Um, The one worrying thing that I did see though, is that I think this game exposed our lack of uh, depth off the bench in terms of if we need a goal, who are we just going to pull off? Who are like, you know, in the past we used to have Chicharito like, you could just throw him on the pitch, and this guy would just bag some goals for you. And like he was available for that, and he was um, that was his role. You know, uh, we used to have Fellaini. You could just go route one, two, and just like put it put it in the box, and hopefully he heads it down. And we tried doing that with Maguire at the end, but um, I think what it did show is that we lacked finishing quality off of the bench, and that's yeah, and the one I, concern. Yeah, and I think the like that's a really interesting point that you brought up. Even like people had kind of their reservations about Fellaini um, being on the field for Man U, but that was like a different option. It gave them different options throughout the game where if they did get desperate, they could kind of just send him along and mm-hmm. feed, feed balls into the box for him uh, yep. to win, you know, to win those long balls and get those flick ons. Um, so someone else could run onto them and kind of provides that variety for um, in attack for Man U, um, which I think they kind of lack that a little bit overall. I think it's better for them um, as the season will wear on. And you kind of see in the media right now that um, Solskjaer is actually like talking up Alexis Sanchez, even though he's like, we talked about in our preseason preview that it's just like, 
he's pretty much gone from this team and it's like a mm-hmm. foregone conclusion. But Solskjaer's like curiously kind of talking him up. Maybe it's just a ploy to to get as much value for him as possible to sell him. But it seems like he's going to be utilized for whatever role that he has in mind for uh, Sanchez. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, so I think there are a lot of reports that came out in the last few few games or the last few days where um, it looks like he might be switching to Inter Milan. Right. Yeah, and, and so it's like, like yeah, it's, there's a lot of like speculation about that, and then there's kind of maybe the smoke screen through the media that Solskjaer is kind of like building up his value. I'm just curious to see like if this Man U team, and you've kind of outlined the lack of depth in attack, whether or not they can actually survive in the next, you know, before the, you know, before that winter transfer window comes um, comes up and opens up. Because let's say, God forbid, Rashford or Martial end up getting hurt, one of those two, I think they start really lacking um, depth. And you're going to have to throw on someone like, Greenwood or Chong or someone like that, where I don't know if Bolsgar would be very comfortable throwing them in those type of starting roles. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so, I mean, hopefully, I mean, the one the one good thing when like, Solskjaer was boosting Greenwood in the, in the press recently and saying that he's the most natural finisher on the team, uh, even more so than Rashford and Martial. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that he's a better striker, but just terms of natural finishing ability. I don't. I don't know if he's just trying to like boost the kid's confidence or how how facetious he's being, but I think that like there is some serious hype building around Greenwood, and so like if he is able to develop, um, you know, coming off the bench or being able to have like, you know, if he can get ten goals for this, ten goals for us this season, then I think he could definitely step up and be that, you know, that spark plug uh, that we need coming off the bench. Totally. So I want to move on and kind of talk about my team. And yeah, top of the league. <laughs> We're going to talk about the leaders in the league. And they also won the UEFA Super Cup this past week as well, um, last Wednesday, against Chelsea. So we'll talk about Chelsea after this, kind of being the losers of the past, like, couple weeks <laughs> or so. But Liverpool's on top of the league. What a surprise. But, I mean, it's obviously way too early on. But mm-hmm. I... I was fairly encouraged by the first two performances of the season in the Premier League just because I thought it was a possibility with them coming off of the preseason, coming off of their um, Champions League win last year, them maybe coming out flat a little bit during the season. But, you know, first game of the season, they were they looked amazing. They ended up... I think it was four. They ended up winning four one mm-hmm. um, against Norwich, and I just thought they looked amazing during that game. Just pretty much what you've come to expect out of Liverpool um, in terms of their attacking prowess and the way they look going forward. Um, I get obviously the big concern over the past couple weeks has been the goalkeeper depth situation. There was yeah. Allison obviously ended up getting hurt, uh, hurt his calf during that first game against Norwich. 
in which he ended up playing all those games last year. And it's kind of funny that uh, Simone Mignolet ended up getting transferred this offseason, didn't play one Premier League game last year. And then Adrian, Adrian is ending like called upon as he was, I don't know, like signed for literally less than a week, I think on, Mm -hmm. on Liverpool squad. And he was called upon and, had this great reception coming into the Norwich game. And then there, even Adrian's um, health was called into question after they won the Super Cup. And there was like a fan that kind of crashed into his ankle, which is a bizarre thing to even think about. But there was a possibility that the third string goalkeeper for um, Liverpool, who I believe is Andy Lonergan, who was like a League One goalkeeper last year, um, would have been possibly filling in um, against um, Southampton this weekend. But thankfully, Adrian uh, was healthy enough to play, but ultimately ended up getting anointed as a Liverpool goalkeeper because he ended up like having a complete gaff of a goal. Uh, or letting up a goal where he ends up trying to clear it and it goes off Danny Ings and Danny Ings scores it to kind of make that last 10 minutes of the Southampton game uh, pretty scary for Liverpool fans just because of, you know, a one-goal gap and the shakiness of what Adrian was kind of showing on the pitch. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, it's funny because I think that's the luckily for you guys that's the one position I think a player can just slot right in um, without having to have been on the team that much, um, especially with a leader like Van Dyke in your back line who can just really uh, take control and take command and really be able to like let the rest of the team know hey like could you know call out the keeper call it, like, and really control the defense that way. Um, yeah, dude, honestly, way better. Like I had no clue who he was, and way better than I thought he was gonna be. Uh, great performance by him. Um, and I think, you know, the one concern that there might be is, like, in terms of, now speaking about it, the defense, um, Norwich had, you know, a lot of opportunities in that first week. They weren't really able to capitalize. Um, we'll get to Norwich later, I guess. But um, And then against the Southampton game, I think they were just tired from, you know, the UEFA Super Cup. But, you know, I think, I think you know, if I were nitpicking, that would be the one thing. Um, but other than that, I mean, Liverpool looked as strong as ever and as strong as you'd want. Yeah, and I mean, I think we could talk about next week's game as well because it's kind of like this early matchup between um, the the number one and number two teams in the league against from against Liverpool or against Arsenal, Liverpool and Arsenal this coming weekend, um, this Saturday, which is going to be a huge early. Uh, season matchup that I think is going to be really interesting stylistically just because of some of the new um, talent that's on Arsenal that's going to be pretty fascinating and Liverpool's going to have like a week of rest um, to be Mm -hmm. able to kind of recover their legs and I think you'll you'll see the the machine of what Jurgen Klopp has kind of um implemented in this Liverpool system be running on all cylinders. And I think that's what I'm really excited about to see um, and whether or not this 
Arsenal back line is going to be able to handle Liverpool's attack, especially with a couple new faces um, in uh, David Luiz. So I think that's going to be a really fascinating matchup. Um, but overall, I'm pretty happy with Liverpool and the way they look as a Liverpool fan. Yep. Yeah, no, I think definitely uh, you guys are in line, you know, just to be challenging uh, as well, if not better than you guys did last year. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about the big loser that we were kind of talking <laughs> about and alluding to um, when we were addressing both of our teams. Chelsea kind of looked a little bit, they, I don't know if little bit, it, a little bit is an understatement, but they looked a little bit shaky to start out the year. They're currently sitting 15th in the table right now with one point from both of their games to start off. Um, they ended up tying Leicester 1-1, and then we alluded to the 4-0 loss to Man U and then losing to Liverpool uh, in the UEFA uh, Super Cup um, in penalties. So I don't know what your thoughts are on, on Chelsea, but some of the thoughts I had were, I think maybe the result in the Man U game, while I think they did deserve to lose, it could have been something like 4-2 or so, right. um, where it would have maybe changed the perception of what their performances have been like this year. And I mean, the Liverpool game, they just ended up losing on penalties. I don't know if there's much you can do about that. But I think the Leicester game kind of was interesting, too, because maybe I think a lot of people have Chelsea not in the top four and maybe even being as low as six or seven in the league right now um, before the season started. So I, I don't know if that's where they're going to be competing with amongst like the Leicesters and uh, Wolverhampton um, and be competing for maybe like the seven, eight, six, seven, eight spots uh, in the league. But what it's, what was your read on like how they looked? And I didn't even mention what Christian Pulisic looked like. Um, he had his moments, but he doesn't look like he's fully cemented his role at Chelsea yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one, if I were, if I were a Chelsea fan or if I were trying to uh, encourage one, yeah, I would say you know your the performance. Joe, let's be week real. Week. <laughs> Sorry, let's be real for a second. There's no Chelsea fans. They're just all Dragon fans. Yeah, uh, but yeah, go, 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 go yeah, Right, right, exactly. So go ahead. With your, <laughs> sorry before before I interrupted, but go ahead with your. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, if I were at a dinner party trying to impress uh, fake Chelsea fans, um, I would say yeah, exactly. There, there's a there's there are positives to be taken from each week to week. Um, I know that's somewhat a pyrrhic victory, but uh, the, there's, you know, I mean, the performance against Manchester United, clearly they got, the, you know, mopped up. But I think that was without having N'Golo Kante on the field. Um, and I think his reintroduction to the team, you know, for that Liverpool Super Cup, what, I think I think it showed, a, like, just how critical he is to what they want to do. Um, that he was incredible that game. And he played his mind out. Like, he was dribbling all over the field looking like Messi, you know. And so I think, you know, just the criticality of him being in the team on a match day cannot be overstated. And um, so, yeah, I think, and then I think coming out, you know, this following week with Leicester and uh, having having Mason Mount score his goal, I think there's improvements that have been made. 
Um, and I think the team's looking a little bit more promising. I still think that they're going to be, you know, in that 8-9 spot because um, I think they're just not going to have enough consistent performances week in, week out because if everything is hinged on N'Golo Conte being healthy and, you know, running the team like he should, then I think you're in a tough spot. Um, and as far as Christian Trulisic, I think, you know, he's looked lively. He's looked good. Um, I think he's what, what two assists, I think, in all competitions this season now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, or maybe one, but, like, he looks like he belongs. He's playing well. Um, but I think he's the kind of guy who also needs quality around him. Um, guys who can finish his crosses, guys who can set him up for success. And I think the one issue I've been seeing is that he takes a little bit too long on the ball. It's not the Bundesliga anymore. I think you've got to be much more assertive and faster and uh, make your decisions, like, before you even get the ball. Right. And I think that's maybe the adjustment in terms mm-hmm. of maybe the speed of play a tiny bit and then maybe also the physicality that yeah. you might have to get used to in the Premier League in, compares, in comparison to the Bundesliga. And it's just a different uh, style of league, I would say, in yeah. terms of the way I think things are things operate in this league. And it kind of shows that you can't really have an off day um, and still expect to win in the Premier League, maybe in comparison to the Bundesliga, where there might be a little bit easier fixtures um, for a team like Dortmund, who has a wealth of talent uh, when they're versing a team that, and I, I don't even know like any of these lower level Bundesliga teams, but um, just kind of not being able to, to take games off in terms of that. And he, and, and the thing I think a lot of people need to remember is that he wasn't even this consistent starter for Dortmund um, during the whole of Dortmund season last year. And he was kind of replaced and supplanted by Jaden Sancho. And yeah. he wasn't getting consistent minutes. So I think it's a little bit of him being able to kind of build his way into the starting lineup at Chelsea. And from there, whether or not he's able to string consistent performances together. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a knock on him too much either to, um, you know, be supplanted by Sancho. Cause I mean, that kid's going to be the future, the future of English football. I mean, Holy crap. He's amazing. Um, he's fast. He's got yes. speed for days, speed yes. for days. Yep. Like this kid's going to be fucking amazing. And so yeah. he's going to be good. And so I think, you know, losing your spot to, you know, a potential uh, world-class, like, number, like, top five, top ten kind of player, that's not that's not too bad. Uh, and I think – so I think there's still definitely a lot of potential that's untapped in him. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing his performances as he gets more comfortable in the Premier League. Yeah, and, I, I mean, it's very early on in the season, and we'll yeah. kind of continue <laughs> to monitor. 36 see, more but, games. Right, right. But just their initial reactions it, – it's definitely looks shaky for Chelsea, but I think maybe the score lines have masked um, some of the performance that they that they have had. Like for example, let's say they won in PKs against Liverpool um, in the um, in the Super Cup, and then ended up winning that game against Leicester, which would have been possible. It could have just been chalked up to a bad day against Man U, and then. Mm-hmm kind of recovering nicely with those next two games. So 
it's I mean, I think it's a really tough way to start the season, but I but it's also somewhat expected from maybe the talent that they've presented on the field and in their squad as well. Yeah. Definitely a lot so, of growing pains there. Yeah, definitely for sure. So the one game that I did want to hone in on this past weekend, and I think it was, I think it's a really good microcosm of what um, some of the storylines are from the first two weekends of the Premier League is the Man City Tottenham game that Mm -hmm. was just an exciting, it was just like an exciting game to watch. And I think Manchester City ended up having something close to like 30 shots on goal against Tottenham, um, which is kind of ridiculous against a, a caliber of the team like Tottenham. But it was just a back and forth type of game in terms of Manchester City would end up going up a goal and then Tottenham would answer right back. Man City went up 2-1, and then Tottenham answered uh, with the Lucas Moura header. And mm-hmm. then we thought with – and it seems like every time I watch Manchester <laughs> yeah. City, they seem to score a goal within the last three minutes of the game to kind of steal victory. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case this weekend. And we thought they ended up scoring that third goal, third decisive goal to – kind of snatched the victory away from Tottenham. And I think every Tottenham player and every Tottenham fan thought that goal had counted at the end, but dreaded, and I don't know what your thoughts are on VARR, but that was a mouthful of itself. But what do you think, (laughs) what are your thoughts on just how VAR has kind of worked throughout this season uh, to start the season and how it was imp- how it's been implemented and do you feel like that was the correct call um, made by the VAR replay system you know I think it's such a difficult and such a fine line to walk I think Manchester City definitely deserved to win I'm really happy that they didn't but they deserved to win um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm happy they didn't either. <laughs> yeah and so it, it's crazy because like that was such a stellar goal. It's like in the, the 93rd minute or something, like two minute, 45 seconds left of stoppage time. And like, you know, Raheem Sterling, or no, Gabriel Jesus. Was it Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He like smashes in that goal and you're like, oh my God, it's over. But um, I think, so it's funny. I think you're going to law school. Uh, but I think, I think all the legal guys, like, you know, it's, it's hard to argue against what VAR is accomplishing here in terms of, yes, by the letter of the law, like, you know, if there is any contact with someone's hand, intentional or not, um, then that goal should be disallowed. And so I think, right. you know, from that perspective, yes, VAR did its job. And I think that's the perspective you would get if you were just reading the scoreline and what happened. But then anyway, if you're watching the game, you'd recognize, like, this had next to no impact whatsoever on that goal that was scored. And so I see it akin to, like, the NFL catch rule, you know, where it's like, what is a catch? And that was a debate that raged on for like two or three years after like so many controversial calls, you know? Yeah. So I think this is going to be one of those kinks that are going to have to be worked out in the coming, you know, season or two. Um, you know, like maybe if, like, because right now, like every announcer keeps harping on the, is it clear or obvious? You know, and you're like, you know, those that they keep talking about. And like, this is definitely not a case of clear and obvious, you know? Like, I think it like grazed his fingertips. 
you know, yeah. a Yermic Laporte, and you're like, that's, it seems so unfair. Um, so, like, I think 99% of uses of VAR I'm on board with. Um, but I think just this one instance, that's going to stick in my craw. If that happened to me or it happened to Man United, I'd be livid. Yeah, and I think that's, I think the dis- really important distinction to kind of make, and it's pretty nuanced for uh, maybe the casual soccer fan to follow is that there's a distinction between the letter of the law being applied and VAR being applied to the, to the situation or whether or not that actual rule itself is egregious or wrong in itself. And I think, that's kind of like how the situation played out here in terms of if that is the letter of the law in terms of if any contact with the hand ends up leading to a goal or is scored um, by your hand or your shoulder or your arm, then the goal should be disallowed. Then you would kind of look at this decision that was made and the VAR system ended up working because it was applied correctly in this situation. But then you kind of have to deal with this whole other problem of whether or not this rule in it of itself is the correct ruling. And I think that's where a lot of the gray area kind of comes into play in terms of this idea of clear and obvious and whether or not, you know, whether or not you can determine intent um, from that situation and things like that. It's not like any Tottenham players were really, I would say, protesting for a call of a handball in that situation. I think a lot, a majority of the players thought the ball went off of Laporte's head. Um, that mm-hmm. led, that ended up leading to the goal. So I think that's where the controversy kind of comes into play. Yep. And then it maybe, t- and then. Like, I think a lot of people have talked about whether or not whether or not it's broken up the flow of play in terms of taking a couple minutes to determine whether or not they're going to be making the right call or not. And I think that to be debated. I mean, you kind of saw an example of that during the Man U game yesterday um, mm-hmm. against Wolves when um, I think Ruben Neves ended up scoring that goal. And the VAR, VAR was determining whether or not the corner kick preceding the goal ended up being offsides or not. And that was like a three-minute ordeal and yeah. whether or not to take away the goal or not. And it ended up, they ended up counting it. But I think it maybe kind of interrupts the, the free-flowing nature of or, and the essence of what soccer slash football is in comparison to other sports like American football or basketball, where there's this constant stop and start. Um, And I think that's kind of where there needs to be a better, I guess, implementation of the system. And it's early on in the Premier League, and I'm sure they'll get better and better throughout the year just because they're more used to seeing and analyzing these situations. But I mean, four minutes to analyze whether or not something is good or not in the flow of soccer 
it just kind of breaks it up and makes yeah. it more into a sport that it isn't and kind of has shied away from being in terms of it being like this stop and start type of league. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it might be, yeah, it might be opening like a can of worms in terms of like, because I think good referees, they're always praised for like their discretionary use of advantage being played uh, on a foul. Right. And so like if a foul occurs, um, then the referee, you know, if they, if they deem that foul to have like caused a, a disadvantage and like the play cannot continue, then they'll call it back and they'll bring the ball back and they'll take a free kick. But then when the referee recognizes that calling that foul in that moment would interrupt the flow of the game, they are allowing the play to go on, you know? And so I think, I mean, this could be, this could back like backfire so poorly. And I think it could like the backlash on the referees could be like really bad too. But I think, you know, if they are able to determine, you know, I, whether it be the sideline judge who's like reviewing the VAR itself or like the people out, you know, in the headquarters that are looking at the videos, if they're able to determine like, okay, like say this unintentional handball or like say this like small quirk really had no impact and they're able to make that decision, you know, in the most rational way possible, then maybe like these kind of circumstances wouldn't occur. But clearly I think like people will always disagree with, you know, what what, what the referee's decision is anyways. And so you can't win. Um, and I think by implementing VAR, I think this is the way it's just going to be. And I, and like, sure, they'll make a tweak or two, but I think just all in all, like these kind of goals, I think, you know, in the future will probably still be disallowed. Right. And I think this is kind of like the new normal that a lot of Premier League fans are going to have to accept yeah. um, with the way VAR is going to be implemented. And I, I think overall, you want the right calls. You don't want situations where there there's controversy because of, of the goals. And I mean, some, I would say announcers and pundits are kind of arguing, oh, we're losing the old school nature of what soccer slash football actually is. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, don't you want the right call? Yeah, from like goal line these, technology. Right. Don't you want the right call to happen? Like, I don't know anyone in the NFL or that's a Saints fan is necessarily <laughs> going to be like, no, like we, we miss the drama of like the the non-pass interference call and everything like that. No, every Saints fan is going to be like, yeah, they should have called that. Or they sh-. And it, it was kind of, and changes were made accordingly in, in the NFL to try to address that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I think overall, like, it's better for the sport, but it's definitely going to take its time to kind of work all the kinks out of the system. Yep. So more specifically, and I did want to talk about and kind of dive more into, like, the way you perceive what Man City looked like on the field because I think they looked utterly like they just looked dominant against Tottenham mm-hmm. um, just being able to possess the ball. I thought Kevin De Bruyne, who is on my fantasy premier league and had two <laughs> assists during the game, which I was extremely proud of. I just thought he looked extremely good, especially coming off of injuries all of last year and it being a stop and start type of season for him. I just thought he looked really impressive but one of the, like, I would say, like, the drama-filled, like, 
um, scenarios that ended up happening was the curious interaction between Pep and Sergio Aguero once Aguero came off the pitch. And it was really fascinating to see the relationship between them because Pep is kind of known. And I don't know if you've ever watched the all, all of all for nothing series on Amazon with Man City and how Pep kind of controls this controls this Man City team. But he has a lot of the respect of the guys on the field and just kind of being known as this master tactician. And it was really interesting to kind of see him get in the face of Aguero and basically challenging him because Aguero's known as this all-world striker and then him being pulled off the pitch and Pep was literally like, Pep and him were like in a shouting match on the sideline. Like, do you think that is ultimately productive for this, for their relationship and maybe for this Man City team? Or do you think it's just kind of a whole lot of nothing and, and just emotions happen because they're in the flow of the game and their competitive nature comes out? Yeah, I'm always on the, you know what, it's totally fine train. Um, you know, you see these kind of blow-ups happen, you know, in the NFL, you see it happen in the NBA. And I think what you do is you take into account the personalities that are doing these things, right? So if you see, you know, some fucking maniac like Antonio Brown laying into his coach, you'd be like, okay, there's an issue there. But then you see Tom Brady and his coach going at it, like Josh McDaniels, and you're like, okay, there's a proven track record of these two guys having a great relationship with each other. And, you know, I think this is an instance in terms of, like, Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, Pep, and Aguero, where it's like you get these two perfectionists who are at the top of their craft, who are the best at what they do. And, yeah, I think when you come to uh, – when, when you have a difference like that, in the heat of the moment, in a tight game, I think, you know, that's when these things come to a head. But I don't think this will have any – impact on their relationship going forward whatsoever. I think these kind of things are, you know, they're, they're healthy. I think um, in a way it's a, it's a form of discourse. Uh, obviously you don't want it happening in front of the cameras, but you know, I think no striker likes being taken off. And I think, you know, every manager has the right to do what they want. And it's nice to see, you know, you're not robots. People have feelings, you know, and like they, and they just express them to each other. And in the heat of the moment, it's going to turn out something that looks negative when ultimately it's not. Yeah, just the tension for all the people out there. They're not robots. Uh, just That's like a joke. That's going to be a joke quote from now on. They're not robots. They have feelings. Um, so all these players, like, <laughs> like, they're just normal people. They have the normal emotions of why you, like, when you get pulled out of the game, why you would feel... Like if you, especially if you feel like you have more to contribute to the game, why you'd feel kind of, I don't know, dispirited about coming off the field when you feel like you have more to contribute. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think any competitive person would kind of feel that way. So I kind of agree with you um, during that, with, with that whole interaction between Pep and Sergio Aguero. But I think overall, going to be really interesting um and and i i think what i want to transition to and talk about with tottenham um specifically talk about tottenham was the i would say i think a lot of the and they're at four points right now 
um, in the league sitting in sixth in the table. I just feel like the two performance that performances that I ended up watching in the past two weeks kind of they kind of lucked out in some ways. Like that three one win against Villa, they were down early against Villa one zero, and mm-hmm. I just didn't think they looked really great during that game until they kind of turned it on in like the last. 10, 15 minutes where Harry Kane scored a couple goals to make the scoreline look a little worse than it actually did. Even though they produced a ton of offense, a ton of shots and everything like that, I just didn't think they looked particularly good in moments during that game. And I also think during this Man City game, they could have been blown off the field. They were like, they could have lost, 5-2, 6-2 with the amount of chances Man City produced and maybe it was just a lack of finishing by Man City that ended up allowing Tottenham to kind of um, end up with this tie and a point in in the table but it was like I think I remember hearing a stat throughout the game um, at one point during the game where Man City had 27 shots and Tottenham had three and yeah. and it was tied to two which is wild yeah which is wild to me and I just think this Tottenham team is kind of missing Deli Ali and they'll get Sonungman back um this next week especially coming off of that two game suspension which is I think much needed for their offensive production yeah, you know, I was I was gonna say, and I'm glad you brought it up first because you know, Korean. You know, I'm biased. I love this man. You know, I'm all. But yeah, just to let yeah. people know, as many people think I'm Chinese, I am oh. actually Korean. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I am also very proud that Tan uh, Min is coming back um, into our lives in the Premier League season. Like, and we talked about this on the the previous episode, but like he showed just how important he is to that team. You know last season when Harry Kane was out injured and like, they're definitely hurting missing him. Cause I think like Eric Lamella is definitely, you know, like he scored a goal. Sure. But like all in all, he's not a great player. And then he's nothing more than squad depth. And then like, you know, having pushed Erickson out to the wing, that was like a tough experiment for them. Like he has to be, you know, facilitating through the middle. So when they're missing that winger in Son Young Min, who's like, creative, an amazing finisher, and, like, him and Harry Kane have this great chemistry off of each other. I think, you know, they're definitely hurting because of his absence. And, um, you know, you know, it's funny, in that Man City game, you know, the first, what, 25 minutes, I think they were just getting absolutely dominated. Like, when Man City scored that first goal with that, like, sublime Kevin De Bruyne first, like, first touch, um, uh, you know, crossover in, like, the far post, with Raheem Sterling just coming in for a header was yeah. great. And I was like, wow, they're getting cut open. But then, like, there were spells of, like, five to ten minutes at a time throughout the rest of the game where Tottenham was able to really assert their will and, like, show them that, you know, they're, they're really that they belong. And so I think um, I think they've been slow. Like, traditionally, they've been slow starters in the league. And I think they really just need to kick it up into the next gear and, like, focus and, like, play their style play the way they want to and really assert themselves in, you know, all these games that they're that they're gonna have going forward, especially against top six opposition. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's going to kind of 
and and this is kind of like a continuation of the preseason preview that we ended up giving up or the regular season preview that we ended up having uh, last episode. I think it's all determinative of what ends up happening, happening with Christian Erickson um, in terms of whether or not he gets transferred out to Real Madrid, which he, there are a lot of rumors swirling around that he wants to leave Tottenham. Um, and I'm curious to see what happens with that situation. We'll kind of know in the next, I would say, uh, week and a half, two weeks or so, um, mm-hmm. what ends up happening and uh, finalizing all the squads in the Premier League where um, this summer transfer window ends up closing and which deals end up getting done. Because the uh, transfer window for uh, English Premier League teams um, to bring in players has already closed, but outgoing, um, but players can leave their their teams to go to other leagues. So mm-hmm. it's going to be fascinating to see which teams have accounted for maybe certain players to leave and whether or not they have adequate depth um, yeah. to kind of replace those players in house. Um, but other than that, there hasn't. I mean, I think maybe Arsenal might be somewhat of a surprise sitting at uh, not the second spot in the table right now with one nothing victories over Newcastle and then a 2-1 victory over Burnley this past weekend and to set up that dream matchup between Liverpool <laughs> and Arsenal this weekend, which I definitely will be tuning into. But I, I I just think it's going to be a fascinating matchup because of some of the things that I end up, ended up bringing up before. Yeah, I don't like Arsenal, um, just as a person and as a, you know, if I'm looking at it from a soccer perspective. Because, I mean, all right, so Newcastle is garbage, right? Like, they're just trash right now. Yeah. They're pretty bad, and they're getting smoked, and they're probably going to get relegated. Um. And like their their team's in shambles, and so they beat them one zero, sure. Um, and they didn't have all their star players playing that game. They sat out, they sat all their new guys, and so like yeah, one zero is a fine result, and yeah, you should be winning, right? Um, and then two one against Burnley. Burnley's just always a solid squad. They're always like in the middle of the table, and you know they're they're, they're tough to beat. Um, and like a two one scoreline is is adequate for them, but I think they've been beneficiaries of a soft opening two weeks, and so I think you know, this game against Liverpool is going to be a real reality check for them. Um, it's going to show them exactly how far away from the top they really are. Yeah. And I think they're I, going to get smoked. Yeah, I honestly think – I have a really great feeling about this, and we have a mutual friend in John Park who's a huge Arsenal fan. <laughs> and I'm sorry – like, I'm I'm sorry, John, but not to be a cocky Liverpool fan, um, I think Liverpool's going to kind of beat them pretty handedly this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only, like, the only equalizer, I would say, is not having Allison in goal for Liverpool, and that maybe opens the the door for Arsenal to potentially um, take this game just because of uh, Adrian's, uh, like, um, health and his ankle and whether or not he's 100%. And maybe that being a possibility, but just in terms of the way Liverpool looks with their offensive um, 
output and the way this lineup is set up, I really like the way Liverpool is set up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think they're going to, I think at worst, it's a 2 0 scoreline. Sorry, John Park. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love you, but not in this situation. Um, yeah. So it's going to be tough for, uh, I think, Arsenal fans maybe this weekend. Um, and I will definitely be tuning into that game. Before we end up leaving, there's a couple other things that I wanted to hit Joe um, before I let you go. Is there a Premier League team that has surprised you over the past two weeks um, that maybe you didn't expect to do this well starting off and they've kind of caught you by surprise and whether or not there's a team that's disappointed you? Yes. Okay. So I'll start with surprise team. And I think it's Norwich. I think it should be Norwich for anyone who watches the Premier League on a consistent basis. Like, um, Team Apuki, surprise uh, co-golden boat, boot boot owner with uh, Raheem Sterling at the moment with four goals in two games. Unbelievable. And the one thing that I've really enjoyed about watching this team is, like, they're attacking fervor. I mean, I mentioned it before against Liverpool. But, like, in that first half, they had two clear-cut opportunities to score against Liverpool, and that was with Alisson and goal, and I think both those saves were great saves made by him before he went out. Um, But, like, I think Norwich City has shown attacking ambition, and they've shown potential, and right now they're exhibiting a killer finishing touch. Um, And so, like, that's very exciting for me to watch, and I think they're definitely one team to keep an eye on, the challenge for – or to, like, definitely stay in the league – but also maybe just to be challenging for that seven, eight, nine spot as well. Mm. And then I think uh, disappointment is Aston Villa. I think um, their performance – actually, you know, it's a tie between Aston Villa and Everton. I think Everton's, you know, they got a red card. Schneiderling got a red card in his first game, and then they weren't able – I think, what uh, – yeah, they lost last – or no, they tied – they drew last week. Or no, they won last week against Watford. But Watford's also right now currently sitting in the relegation zone. So, like, Everton hasn't really been performing up to um, what they should be uh, or where they could be. Uh, definitely disappointing. And then Aston Villa, like I mentioned before, um, I think I, I had no clue about this stat, but the whole, like, 19 consecutive games that Jack Grealish has lost in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. That, that sucks. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. And then I think, on the other hand, I saw Zinchenko has won, like, literally every game he started or played in, yeah. uh, except for this past game against Tottenham, which is mm-hmm. kind of, I think it was like over the course of 20 games or so, which is pretty insane to think about. Um, Definitely not like, a knock on Grealish, though. He's been playing his heart out. Oh, yeah. He, he's been playing pretty well, um, and he's like one of those exciting players that if he were on like a team like Manchester United or Liverpool – I think he would get a lot more attention um, just being on one of those higher-profile teams um, instead of Aston Villa. But he's definitely played pretty well. It's just I wonder if Villa's kind of this team that isn't going to be able to string results together, and that's kind of what happened a couple seasons ago when they got relegated. Um, I think the one team that is is surprisingly – has surprisingly come out flat is Watford and you mentioned them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that on the other hand has brought up my surprise team has been 
um, Brighton and Hove Albion. And they ended up beating Watford 3-0 in that first matchup, which I totally did not see coming, especially with Watford over the past, I would say, three to four seasons, having established themselves as a mid-tier type of um, team in the Premier League. And I, I don't know what it is, but they've come out flat in the in the past two games this year. They haven't produced a goal yet, yet, and they've given up four goals, and they're sitting at the bottom of the of the table right now. Yep, um, which is pretty bad for them. Um, but they have like a really like they have a lot of talented players, and maybe it's just the schedule for them and they have West Ham coming up this uh this weekend which hasn't had that great of a start as well so I I think there's a lot of pressure that's going to be placed at the bottom of the league and I like I think for teams that are fighting fighting off relegation the thing that they have to really hone in on is making sure that they the there's not like a continued streak of losing and that yep. they're able to just grind out ties and, and draws um, throughout the season against competition that they should be um, drawing and uh, beating competition um, that is on an equal level as they are. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like the name of the game in the Premier League, being able to stay um, up in the Premier League. Is there any... And I think Pookie was kind of like one of these like darling strikers that have been picked up a lot in fantasy Premier League and has has kind of really taken the league by storm with the, the hat trick that he scored this past weekend. And I think that's someone that someone to look out for especially and and you know, give I'll give a shout out to Sheffield United as well, who ended up getting promoted um this for this season from the championship and they're sitting on four points um, as well, tying Bournemouth in the first week and then beating Crystal Palace. So, I mean, there's a lot of positives uh, for the newly promoted teams, um, which has to be an encouragement um, for teams that are, I would say in the championship this year that they can compete um, in the premier league especially with Wolves' success to uh, last season after being promoted. Like, I don't think many people expected that either. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So, Joe, is, and I think one thing that I wanted to talk about before we close, and it has nothing to do with the Premier League, <laughs> I'm, I'm just purely bringing him up because he was an ex-Liverpool uh, man. Um, Philippe Coutinho ends up getting um, not transferred, but loaned out to Bayern Munich from Barcelona. Just give me your quick thoughts on what you, what, how you feel about this transaction and whether or not it's going to help Bayern um, in the long run. So I'm going to say something. It's yeah, you know, uh, so. I think so. Coutinho in his like original press conference being introduced to Bayern, he's burning all his Barcelona bridges, burning them, burning every single one, scorched earth. This guy was like, yeah, like it just really didn't work out for us there. Definitely not the right fit for me. Like yada yada yada. 
I would say, hey, man, take a look at James Rodriguez. This dude thought he was done with Real Madrid. Guess where he's at? He's back at Real Madrid because Bayern didn't buy him, you know? And the funny thing is that um, Coutinho has, I think, uh, he's on a loan with a $120 million buyout clause if Bayern wants it, you know? And, like, dude, if you, if you like, screw up this year at Bayern and, like, things don't work out for you, boy, you are – you're going right back to Barcelona, you know? And so I think, you know, it's a great – it's a good move, and I think Bayern had to do it because of the departures of Robin and Ribéry. Um, and he'll, like, slot in well as a number 10. Um, he can start out on the right side as well. And he's got that nice left-footed uh, curler he can whip out at any moment. But is he left-footed? No, he's I Alrighty. he's like right he's right footed, but he's pretty much ambidextrous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, uh, totally wrong there. Uh, delete that off the pod. But um, <laughs> but uh, like he's that's he, the drug know, got, talking, folks. Yeah, mm-hmm, drugs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's he's good, and I think he can definitely help them. I think they drew in their first match, so there's definitely a strong. Uh, it's gonna be a fun battle between them and Dortmund, and he's really got to pick up his game and really rebound from a down season that he had at Barcelona. I think Bayern will be able to use him well. He's going to have some chill games where he can really express himself, you know, get some garbage opposition. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm interested to see how they use him. I think it's a good move. It's the move he had to make. But I don't think it's a guarantee he's at Bayern this time next year. And I, I think just in general, to kind of maybe, I would say, I guess to kind of connect this back to the Premier League and have like some sort of Premier League connection is, and I think this kind of maybe gets into deep, uh, a bigger topic um, than maybe we want to get into in this podcast. Um, But we could kind of uh, touch upon it is that in general, I think it maybe points out to points to this idea of, maybe the grass being greener on the other side in terms of, I think a lot of people thought Coutinho was going to have this amazing, amazing impact on Barcelona. And at spurts he did, but is it worth making like a big money move transfer over to um, a big unknown like Barcelona and not maybe knowing the role and maybe having a lot of question marks about how maybe you'd be utilized and just and just staying at a club like a Liverpool and knowing that Coutinho was going to get solid minutes and playing time and it's not like Liverpool was a small club. It's and I think their profile has grown over the past couple of years because of Klopp and them winning the Champions Champions League last year. But it's not like Liverpool was a small club at the time when they sold Coutinho and kind of was able to reposition themselves as Champions League contenders with all the available funds that Coutinho the Coutinho sale provided them, but maybe just like in a large, I guess like taking a step back and 10,000 foot view of a situation is, does it like make sense? And, and I think that it's like a hard balance for a lot of um, footballers to make is what, when to make 
the right transfer move and like the importance of playing time and being in the right situation in comparison to just making the big move to one of those clubs like uh, Bayern, like Real Madrid, like Barcelona. Mm, yeah, I think that's a great point you bring up. And I think it's it's a tough one because I think, you know, his heart was set on Barcelona and he really wanted to go there. And I don't think there's any fault with that. I think the issue was is that you're going to a Barcelona that has Messi. You're going to a Barcelona that has, you know, who a lot of people, not me, consider the greatest player of all time, you know? And so, like, when you go to a team like that that's entirely built around, you know, Messi creating everything and being, like, the man for them, and you saw that then losing to um, Bilbao, you know, this past week. Yeah, what a goal by uh, Arturiz, Arturiz, right? Arturiz, yeah, that was, like, an unbelievable scissor kick goal. Yeah, um, and so I think when, you know, you see a team like that that's built around this one individual, how can you possibly expect for you to somehow show up and be the star? And I think Coutinho, you know, I think he expected that to some extent, and I think that he that's what he desired. Um, but I think, you know, when you're not the focal point anymore and you're really, like, become an ancillary piece to this greater puzzle, you know, it's hard to adjust to. And so... Um, I think it wasn't like, I think at the time he probably saw it as like, oh man, it's a chance to play with Messi and like win. But I don't think it's a, I think if you're in Barcelona, you're not playing with Messi, you're playing for him. And I think that's the differentiating factor. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of like one of those things to point out for a lot of people. Um, and maybe just in general in sports is the idea of understanding your talents and and limitations and then also um maybe overvaluing uh the idea of playing at a big big money club and being content with playing at a at a club where you're getting more consistent playing time and um maybe that's to be more valued but i i mean it's hard to kind of tell certain players what to do and like what's right for their situation like I know Wilfred Zaha really wanted to make a move away from ever <laughs> from uh, Crystal Palace to Everton and mm-hmm. whether or not that would have been the right move with the amount of competition on the wings that he might have had um, at Everton um, and then also someone like Christian Pulisic so a lot of people were questioning whether or not he made the right move and I guess that's uh, that remains to be seen for him, uh, him just just being transferred over to Chelsea. Um, it looks like he's acclimating himself, himself okay, but you just never know what ends up happening in that situation. And I think that's where um, you kind of see, like, players that went back to Dortmund, like Mario Goethe and, like, Andre Schirla, who kind of mm-hmm. – traveled their way around um, Germany. Um, Goethe ended up going to Bayern and then ended up coming back. Schirla ended up, you know, coming to Chelsea. And then I think it was uh, he ended up going to uh, Fulham last year. And that being like a weird journey before he found his way back. So it's just kind of, I think, one of those things that's, a footballer, a professional footballer, you have to 
always find ways to improve and try, try to challenge yourself. But at the same time, you want those consistent minutes to be able to um, have the ability to grow um, while playing on the field and not just mm-hmm. sitting on the bench. Right. So overall, I think it's like a great move for Coutinho just because he it didn't seem like uh, he kind of fell out of favor, uh, favor under Valverde. And I think that's one of the things that he'll get more playing time at Bayern and that connection between him and Lewandowski, I think is going to be a really interesting fit, especially with some of the new young guys that Bayern, they're kind of transitioning um, eras from the Robin and uh, Frank Ribéry era to kind of so what I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's I don't know if it's Gnabry or Na, or, or if the G is silent in Nabry, but <laughs> like I, I think he, like that transition from him um, from Ribery and Robin to Nabry um, to and, and then Coutinho kind of supplementing that. Whether or not that's going to be if we're going to be able to see like the same amount of dominance that Bayern's going to have in uh, the Bundesliga. And I think like that's almost a given for Bayern and whether or not they're going to be, they're going to have enough to compete in the Champions League. Right. Yeah. I think, I think they'll do well um, as well as they usually do, but I don't think they're going to win the Champions League with him. Right. So there's, I mean, it's been an exciting time just to ha- have uh, Eng- English Premier League football back in our lives, Joe. I mean, I've been tuning in Saturdays and Sundays, waking up early to watch Mondays. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah, pretty much every game I can possibly watch, just being able to tune in on that. Um, so it's been an exciting time to finally kind of watch competitive games happen, especially with the this dead season of July, August, and there not being much sports in general. I'm just happy that we're back in the Premier League season. It started two games into the year. Can't wait for game week three uh, this coming weekend. And then also on the horizon, and I don't know if you're uh, a big I mean, I know you're a huge Patriots Tom Brady fan, which I really hope Tom Brady's just falling apart soon. Just Unlikely. as a as as a Jets fan, <laughs> but I know that's like I, I'm basically praying for like a miracle to happen. Uh, basically praying for the Red Sea to part. But it's just one of those things where um, football is coming back. Uh, fan, a lot of fantasy football leagues are starting up. People are drafting and things like that. So there's a lot of sports happening um, in the next month or so. So there's a lot. So it's an, a really an exciting time. Yeah, dude. Uh, you know, for the next six months, I've got nothing to do but watch soccer. So. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. So you could kind of like imagine yourself on the pitch. Um, as you recover from your shoulder injury. So, mm-hmm. Joe, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your insights on Manchester United. And uh, hopefully you recover from that shoulder injury and have a fast and speedy recovery so you could get back onto the soccer field. Uh, so, Joe, thanks again. And, guys, be on the lookout for other podcasts that I'm going to be 
uh, putting out there. I'll probably put out a fantasy football podcast later this week, um, Pat, um, maybe Friday of this week, and uh, expect some of those uh, weekly um, football podcasts to return with uh, my brother being the main guest that I bring on. So thanks, guys, for listening in and tuning in. And Joe, thanks again for coming on to the pod. Anytime, anytime, Kev. I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up. And I'm addicted, I can't get enough.